This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Without further ado, we want to maximise the amount of time we've got with this next gentleman who's been hanging on to chat to us. A very special guest on the line, Chris. Certainly is. A man that played seven years over two spells for Tottenham Hotspur, scoring 124 goals. Of course, famously, a treble winner with Man United. We've been over that road with him before. He is also a man that won the PFA Players Player of the Year and the Writers Player of the Year in the Premier League back in 2001, the very evergreen. And he still looks as if he hasn't aged over 25 to this day. It is the one and only Teddy Sheringham, and he joins us live on the line now. Teddy, a very good afternoon to you, my friend. How are we doing, Chris? All right? Yeah, yeah, I'm all right, Teddy. I'm all right. It's what I am. Listen, we're going to get to United in just a second. I want to start, though, with a club that I guess, after Forest, you made your name at. That is Tottenham Hotspur. It's been a busy few days for them. And Gareth Bale is making a journey that you too made, Teddy, and that's a return to Spurs. Give us your reaction to that first. Um, I don't think Tottenham Hotspur could have made a more exciting signing uh, if they had signed anyone else in the world. I think he's absolutely fantastic for Tottenham supporters right now. Teddy, just, just curious as to what, how you think Gareth, and, and I suppose you are a man that is in a very good place to kind of analyse this, because when he left Spurs, he was obviously a very different player to how he is now. We're, we're not going to see, I suppose, that electric pace that we saw in his first spell, but what, what can Gareth bring to Spurs? And obviously when you look at that attack of Son, Kane and Bale, that is a tantalising trio on paper, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Very much. Um, I disagree with the with the pace. I, I don't think he's going to have lost his pace by now. I think uh, was he thirty one? I think. Yeah, he's thirty one. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the man's in his prime. It's not as if he's thirty five and passed it. I think you know as a, as a striker, forward player, you get to learn positions and how to what what positions to pick up on the pitch and how to attack people. By the time you get to twenty nine, thirty, you're in your prime. So I would say he's still in his prime. He's, I know he's had a few injuries, so uh, that will concern everyone, I'm sure. But to still have Gareth Bale available for 28, 30 of 50 games that Tottenham are going to have this year, hopefully at least, then uh, I think everyone will be very excited. How do you view this year from Harry Kane's perspective, Teddy? Of course, you got to 31 before Fergie picked up the phone and said, listen, I want you to come to Old Trafford. I want to lead. I want you to lead this new Man United side post-Eric Cantona, and you made that decision. If Spurs don't go on to have success this season, is Harry Kane going to be looking elsewhere? Yes. Uh, first and foremost, I, I wanted... I didn't want to leave Tottenham Hotspur. I wanted the best players to come and play with me at Tottenham Hotspur. So when when you're Harry Kane, um, I, well, I obviously saw that that wasn't going to happen in, in my time when I was there. But when you're Harry Kane, you know they've got in a top manager. They get they've got a top player alongside in Bale now. You know things look optimistic. But having said that, from a man like Harry Kane's perspective, he will be looking at this year and thinking. This could be my last before I have to before I have to go elsewhere. If if, think, if people don't go along with my ambition at this football club and really push the boat out to to be great, then I might have to go somewhere else. But with with signings like Gareth Bale, I don't see that he has to. Teddy, Jose Mourinho has had so much success and he had so much success early in his career that there has been some 
talk by by observers by people in the game that that football has has kind of evolved to the point where it's I won't say passed him by but his tactics of containment his tactics of of playing a, a somewhat negative form of the game don't seem particularly you know current when you look at a team like Bayern Munich I'm just wondering whether you subscribe to that view and whether you believe that Jose is still a man that can take that Tottenham Hotspur team and get them challenging for a league title <laughs> That's a very good question, but I'm trying to be optimistic right this minute. <laughs> you know, we're, we're signing Gareth Bale, and it's and it's looking up for Tottenham. Yes, I fully understand that Mourinho feel. Um, he has been fantastic in his early English career. Um, things didn't go so well Chelsea and, and Man United. I understand that, and and it hasn't looked great, even though you know the first game they lost, and then. The first half the other day, you're getting the commentators saying, you know, people don't look like what they know what they're doing. You know, it's very early in the season. Things have, you know, it's very easy to judge after one game. People jumping on and saying, yeah, it's no good. He's got to go. You've got to give the manager time. You've you've got to give him transfer uh, windows to to bring in his own players. I do. I, I get that vibe. I'm I'm with you as well. I'm very questionable on whether Mourinho is the right fit for Tottenham. But I'm hoping. And you know, when you get signings like this, let's not be pessimistic today. Let's be optimistic. Yeah, optimistic. An internal optimistic when it comes to Spurs. Teddy, I've got to do it to you. Let's talk United, if we can. A former colleague of yours, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. I'll say this, and listen, you know Ollie. I do not. I've met him briefly. I just think that job is too big for him. I'll say it as I see it. I, I think he's out of his depth, truth be told. And I know there's loads going on above him that doesn't help him do this job. Is, is Ollie? is he a man that deserves an opportunity? Does he deserve more time at Old Trafford? Um, deserves? Not really. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not as if he's had a fantastic um, career as a manager elsewhere. Um, no, so I wouldn't say he deserves it. But at the same time, he's, he's been picked as an, an ex-United man to, to go out there and turn things around. I think he's doing all right. I think he's he's doing a very good job. I think um, the, the fact he's got Paul Pogba on side after a very tricky year of is he, isn't he, can he, can't he, do you want him, don't you want him. I think, you know, he's starting to get the best out of Paul Pogba. That's, that's one thing. So that's good good management in itself. Uh, things were looking, looking up towards the end of last season. Um, things were better. They got in the Champions League. There's optimism there. There's there's a lot of optimism there. I really like um, the Portuguese lad that's, that's Bruno coming Fernandes, in. Yeah. Things yeah, Fernandes. Yeah, I think he's been fantastic. Hopefully, Van der Beek will be will be uh, just as good. Um, they're they're signing exciting players. Um, I still think they need that centre forward that's going to score them. 30 goals rather than 22. <laughs> you know, if you're going to be a top, if you're going to be a top team, I think you've got to have have someone in there that's going to sniff out chances and score goals out of nothing. Still, because you don't always play great football and you have to grind results out. So, uh, for me, a top centre forward and another centre half, and then you're uh, then you're you're nearly there for United. 
Just a final one from me, Teddy. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the, the sort of the, the backroom or, or at least the board level of Manchester United, this idea that they have sold out to this corporate kind of world where it's all about cashing in on the, the massive power of the Man United brand and the football has been left a little bit to one side. It's money men that are running the operations at the top of the club. Do you see Man United get regaining that? I suppose when we look, we hark back to the Alex Ferguson days, that wonderful romance that they had at the club and the fact that they were a real kind of footballing team per se and they seem to have lost that personality. Is that something that you've noticed or is that just the media making up too much stuff again? <laughs> well, without doubt, they've, they've lost that. Over the last three managers they've had in there, they've lost that. It's been a, a, a case of just buying players for the sake of it to be big money players to put them in to go and do your stuff. Um, getting a football team to produce football in the right manner doesn't doesn't happen like that. It, it comes from hard work and graft. And Ollie's Ollie's very much in touch with Sir Alex. I'm sure. You know, you can tell that a lot of his decisions are based on the way that Sir Alex would have would have dealt with things. I like the fact that Greenwood hasn't come back straight into the team after. Uh, stepping out of line twice in his young career. I, I think he's a fantastic footballer, but he needs to be taught as a young man. And mm. hopefully, um, Ollie's having words with him behind the scene and, and making him making him pay for little um, things that he shouldn't be up to. And, you know, you, you've got to grow up as a young man and you become a, a young man on the football pitch and hopefully you become a better person and a, a better player and understand the privileges, privileges that you that it is the plan for Manchester United. That was always grained into us. You know, have a think about what the, the fans are thinking. You know, they would love to be in this position. You are in a fantastic position, so enjoy that privilege, but, but love it as well. Mm. Last one from me as well, Teddy, before we let you go. Does Jadon Sancho do it for you? Is he a player that, that you think, if United do get a deal over the line before October 5th, would be a wonderful acquisition? I don't think it's an imperative move for me. I think they've got wide boys, they've got exciting boys that can play out wide. I think I think the number one spots that change things, Maguire's coming in and I think he's been fantastic for United. I think they need, they need another proper centre half alongside him. And you know, I touched on it as well, they need a proper centre forward. You know, if you if you put two two of the top players in those positions in in any club, it's yeah. going to change them. You know, we, we, I've said that at Tottenham for years. If we could have one or two, you know, top players alongside us, would would have been great. But everyone could be saying that. I I understand that, but I think you know, United have the access to the money to to go out there and say we want this one or that one. So I think that's what they're missing. I think the the top top man up the top and the and the best man as a defender got to switch sports and switch tack a little bit before I say goodbye Teddy I know you've been working on your golf game I hear that it's very very sharp at the moment were you impressed with Bryson DeChambeau and the US Open win yeah I was yeah he's awesome isn't he he's, um, he's taken the game to new levels yeah he is yeah I mean it's it's hard to to think that he's going to get caught and he but you know, he had he had one of those days in the final days that he was driving at everything. You know, on the third day he wasn't so good, but uh, on the fourth day everything was long and straight. And what 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 a 
you know, what, what a way to win it as well. Yeah. Six shots clear and cantered, really. It was fantastic it. viewing. But Can we assume then, Teddy, you're in uh, lifting weights in the gym trying to get your Bryson DeChambeau <laughs> game up to par? I think that's a little bit late for me now, Chris. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll poke it down the middle and poke it on and hopefully sink the putt. That's it for me. Brilliant. Teddy, thank you so much for sparing the time. Hopefully we see you out on a golf course in the near future here in Dubai. But listen, we'll let you go. And thank you so much for sparing the time, OK? Yeah, let's hope so. Cheers, mate. Thank Always you. a pleasure. Cheers, Thanks, Teddy. We just keep them coming here on Off Script Extra Time because it's time to welcome in another gentleman into the conversation, Chris. Yes, indeed, from Teddy Sheringham. Now we go to Tony Dorigo, a man who's joined us numerous times before, a man that's played for Aston Villa, Chelsea, Leeds, Torino, had a spell, of course, at Derby County and at Stoke City as well, former England international. Thoroughly enjoyed him on comms duty last night. Andrea Pirlo's managerial bow for Juventus. Let's welcome Tony into the conversation now. We say a very good afternoon to you, Tony. Hi, good afternoon, guys. Yeah, great to have you back with us, Tony. And listen, we're going to get to one of your loves in the shape of Chelsea in just a moment. We'll do another one of your loves in Leeds United a couple of minutes after that. I want to start, though, if I can, by let's discussing Juventus. Andrea Pirlo, not many people saw the appointment of him as the successor to Maurizio Sarri. He looked absolutely resplendent last night, so he did. He's one of the most stylish men in football, and his football team were pretty handy on the pitch as well. Give us your summation of what you witnessed last night. Uh, I was surprised, and you're absolutely right. Uh, Andrea Pirlo being manager of Juventus is quite remarkable. Seemingly, he only got his actual pro license, so the ability to coach at that level was only only came through three four days ago. So this is a you know a very much a rookie manager. Uh, so I wasn't sure what to expect. However, what I did see was a Juventus side and players actually enjoying themselves, expressing themselves. They played with the great tempo, but their movement they seemed more unshackled than mm. Maurizio Sarri's Juventus of last season. So uh, great credit to him. There's no doubt that he's instilled uh, some belief in those players. Aaron Ramsey was you know absolutely everywhere. Uh, Weston McKenney in midfield, the, uh, the young American lad, was, I thought, absolutely fantastic. And, and it looks like, certainly, they're, they're playing with a, a style, um, which I'm sure Andrew Pillow you know, would like to, to work on. But it's, it's very different to what was more like a staccato Mauricio Sarri style, in that you could see the players always thinking last yeah. season about what they should be doing. Last night, they just went out and played. Tony, when you've won eight Scudettos on the bounce, it somewhat <laughs> narrows the remit of an incoming manager, doesn't it? Because it's, it's, it's become so imperative. The whole reason why they brought Cristiano Ronaldo into the fold when they got so close to winning the Champions League those couple of years in 2015 and 2017. Ronaldo, a serial winner of the Champions League with Real Madrid, comes in and he, he feels like the last part of the puzzle. And yet, weirdly, since they signed him, they've actually done worse in the Champions League. Is that, does that add a weird sort of pressure? Because it's almost assumed that Juventus will win the Scudetto. They're always trying to clearly improve. And the only way they can improve is by winning the Champions League. And we know that's a, you know, a very, very difficult task. The Scudetto is a given. So any manager coming in you know, has to win. Well, it, even that wasn't enough for Maurizio Sarri. Uh, just the way that they played you know, wasn't as pleasing on, as, on the eye. Uh, I think they were, the gap between them and, of course, Inter and Lazio and Atalanta is shrinking. Um, yeah, win the Scudetto, but you're going to get the sack. Uh, and so now, all of a sudden, you're right, the pressure is on. Now, Ronaldo coming back, as well as Benucci, let's not forget yeah. as well. They brought him back from Milan. So they, they spent money on the, the here and now. So they're having to change things. So one or two players they brought in now uh, are younger. So Kulusevski, uh, I think, is a great addition. What a fantastic first goal he scored 
uh, last night as well. That was his sixth touch, I think it was, for Juventus. <laughs> so that wasn't bad. Uh, McKenny again, he's only 22 in midfield. So they're, they're trying to lower this, this age, uh, certainly in the squad. However, Ronaldo just keeps doing the business. I, I think he'll be certainly rested a, a lot more this season to, to make sure that he's ready for those big games. But the pressure's on, and uh, you know it, it's a tough, tough place to, to manage. But Pirlo uh, seems uh, cool as you like, calm, and uh, always looking fantastic, isn't he, on the sidelines? Yes, I hate God, yeah. you look that good. You and me both, Tony. <laughs> you and me both. He looked absolutely sharp as a tack, so he did, in that Juventus embosled uh, shirt last night. I want to talk, though, if we can, about a couple of your other clubs and, and taking it back to the Premier League, if we can. We got the Chelsea-Liverpool match last night. I think, undoubtedly, the sending off of Andreas Christensen changed that match. But given the money that Chelsea have spent, and we've discussed Frank Lampard at length in the past week or two, Tony, is he now a man who is under pressure? Does Frank Lampard and Chelsea, do they need to have a real uptick and a real upturn in fortunes this season because of the money that they have spent and lavished over the summer? Spend a lot of money, it adds to pressure, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. I think that's correct, uh, simply because it was kind of like a free hit for Frank last season. Uh, I think he did fantastic last season. He had to bring in the youngsters, but he, you know, he believed in them. You saw them come on. Uh, but now it looks like half of them are getting sidelined. Um, and with these big money signings coming in, uh, the pressure is up there. So, yes, they finished fourth last season. Uh, with all that money, you expect them to go better. So uh, it's a tough ask because you know, above them are, are certainly two very, very good sides in, in Man City and Liverpool. So uh, it's difficult. I, I feel, uh, certainly for Kepa, the keeper, he's just having a nightmare, isn't he? You know, he's shot, simple as that. They need to get him out of there and and uh, put someone else you know, in goal. Uh, and then hopefully that will then spread some more confidence throughout the side. But I do think they've got some quality players in Timo Werner. Uh, it could be a, a fantastic signing. I think he's got so many goals in. Havertz is an interesting one. I'm yeah. not sure where he's going to play exactly. What position? You know, How does he fit into Frank's uh, setup? But with all those signings, you're quite right. The pressure is certainly on Frank, and he has to go you know, the third or better. Yeah, I was just going to say, is, is top, I mean, top four is, is something that he managed to do in his debut campaign. But I, I suppose that the, the real pressure on him as a manager now, actually being able to, on the hop, mid-season, as we play games week after week, to be able to fit these players into his system and to develop his own system, rather than just play with an inherited group of players, that's really going to, that's going to test his mettle as a manager. You need to mould the team into you know what your vision is, and uh, you talked about Juventus and Andrea Pirlo. Well, clearly, you know his vision is all about uh, movement, fluidity. It's three at the back, then it changes to four at the back, uh, and allowing players to go and play. Now, you know uh, Frank with Havertz, especially, you know, he's a very particular type of player. So we need to see that same sort of you know fluidity in this Chelsea side. I saw the game in, uh, against Brighton. Uh, they were okay. Yeah. They, they won three one, which flattered them, I think, a little bit. And obviously, the first test, uh, they failed. So, interesting to see how Frank gets on. And talk to me about Leeds. H- how high are Leeds, kind of, uh, I guess, targeting this season, Tony? I-, I speak to one or two over in this part of the world who are massive Leeds fans, and they say, hey, listen, we're not getting carried away. If we can play some free-flowing football and stay in the division, that would be deemed success. And, of course, you've got others who look back on the glory days and think, hey, we're Leeds United. We should be doing a Wolves or a Sheffield United and really pushing hard for a top-eight finish. Where do you sit on that? Uh, I like your fans out in Dubai because it's, <laughs> it's clear we need to stay in the division. First thing, get those 40 points or so uh, and then look to build from there. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough school. The way we played against Liverpool, uh, I thought was fantastic. The, the, the resolve, the you know, strength of character the players showed was, was wonderful. But 
we didn't get any points. We lost, you know, and, and that's not what it's about. I thought against Fulham, we're absolutely cruising 4-1, but again, you know, we, we just let things slip. But we're on the mark. We've got three points. Um, I think the style is going to be fascinating because uh, Marcelo Bielsa has a plan A, and if that doesn't work, uh, the plan B is exactly like plan A, but ratchet up 10% more. <laughs> it's, it's just intense. It's a play with a load of pace and power. We need quality. Uh, that, that's clear. And, of course, in Rodrigo, he's been brought in. But the difficulty with any player that gets brought in to Leeds United is understanding how they play under Bielsa. And it is very different. And you, know, you would think a top-class player could just come and slot in, but it isn't that easy. Not only is the fitness levels you know, extreme, uh, but it's also, it's the movement, it's the rotation, it's the closing down. There's, there's a heck of a lot that, that goes on in training that uh, players need to adapt to. But I think so far, they've looked very good. They're, they're a confident bunch and they work really hard uh, together, which is the most important thing. There'll be ups and downs, but uh, I do think we'll survive. I, I end up thinking we'll, we'll probably go to probably 14, something like that. Mm. And they'll be looking upwards rather than downwards, and that would be success for me. I'm confident in saying that no Premier League side has ever started the season with successive 4-3 results, <laughs> a win and a loss, <laughs> albeit. But that is a heck of a way to return to the Premier League, and they're going to be entertaining viewing. There's no doubt about that, Tony. One final one from me. Interesting to see that I think after 13 games of this Premier League season, there'd already been nine penalties. Now, I know there was a record number last year, and obviously VAR is responsible for that, but have the pedants gone mad with the handing out of penalties, or is this just reflective of the fact that more is being noticed now? I get frustrated, I have to say, when I I commentate on certain games uh, that end up being uh, games with penalties in uh, for handballs. I think... Sometimes the you know the, the punishment does not fit the crime. Mm. It, it's as simple as that. And uh, certain things uh, that certainly were missed in previous seasons. Now VAR, you know, is, is catching those things. But it's not so much the, the VAR and finding those things. It's more to do with the laws that are just being brought in, you know, and the clarity or or not uh, of those laws. But I, I just feel now with the way that the law is written, uh, you will see lots of uh, penalties for handballs, but I just don't think the, the punishment you know, fits the crime at all. And uh, it's disappointing. I mean, in City, our last season, there's, you know, there's been some, some crazy ones, but as soon as you put your hands up anyway, it doesn't matter if you're looking at the ball. Now, if it ricochets, you know, it's going to be a penalty. And, and is that what we're after? I'm not so sure. So yeah. I, I think there's still work to be done there. I'm with you on that front, Tony. And last one from us both here. I've got to get, before we say uh, bid you adieu, we've got to get your prediction. Who wins the title this year, Tony? Because Robbie and I couldn't decide on this one a few short days ago. And then, of course, Liverpool signed Thiago Alcantara and we both nail our colours to the mast on that front. Who, for you, <laughs> wins the title? Well, I, I've seen Liverpool at first hand. And my goodness, they are some side. They really are. And Thiago, I think I'm right in saying he came on at half-time. And in the second half, he had more touches in 45 minutes of the yeah. whole Chelsea lot. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing. So uh, I haven't seen City yet. Obviously, I'm looking forward to the game later on. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of with you. With Thiago in that midfield, the front three are just ferocious. They, obviously, they've got great ability, but how they work as well together as a unit, I think it's the best front three. So uh, I may be joining you, boys. Yep, let's go for Liverpool. Brilliant stuff, Tony. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for sparing the time to chat to us this evening. And, uh, well, it's time to say come on, Leeds, and targeting that top eight finish <laughs> here in Dubai. Come on. Absolutely. <laughs> Tony Dorigo, fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Great to catch up with Tony. Always is. And uh, yeah, a man who's got a lot of sensible views on the game. He certainly does, yeah. And he's absolutely right with the UV. You get a fluid formation. You put Andrea Pirlo looking as he does on the touchline yeah. and UV will do some decent things yeah, this Yeah, he makes Andre Villas-Boas, who well, was in the Tottenham dugout sporting all those suits, look scruffy yes, he by does. comparison. 
You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.